This is a CBC Podcast. The opposition NDP has been busy this past week. It held multiple news conferences to highlight certain issues. One was from a woman waiting almost one year for a diagnostic mammogram. They have also talked about raising concerns about government use of hotel rooms for social services clients and others. We saw another one-day strike this week by teachers. To break it all down, we're joined by Marie Madrick, who writes a political column in the Regina Leader Post. And we're joined this week by Jeremy Symes, who covers the legislature for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Good morning, Murray. Good morning. So, Jeremy, I mentioned the opposition held a few news conferences this week, one dealing with concerns over breast cancer diagnostics. This isn't new, but what's the latest? Right. So... The NDP held a news conference with a woman named Nadine Baker, and Nadine told reporters she has been waiting 10 months for a diagnostic scan to see whether she has breast cancer. This is a really long time, and she says she was referred for a diagnostic test back in March. In January, she heard back from the clinic, but no appointment has been booked. Um, She says she's really worried. You know, the longer she waits, the higher at risk of worse outcomes she could have. Her mom also battled breast cancer when she was younger, and she beat it. But while she's going through her own experience, she's thinking about that experience she had with her mom and how hard that was for the family. So the opposition NDP says Nadine's case really highlights the long waits right now in Saskatchewan to get uh, breast cancer care, and it really highlights how the waits have really skyrocketed over the past few years. The province says people should be waiting three weeks to get a diagnostic scan. Um, but right now, most people are waiting about 10 weeks. And if you're Nadine, that's 10 months, so much longer. We also have fewer surgeons in the province, um, especially in Regina. So by having fewer surgeons, this really compounds problems if people need to take that next step after the scan in their breast cancer journey. So. To address this, the government says, you might recall last fall, it announced a plan to send patients to Calgary to receive scans. They're going to do about a thousand of them there at a private clinic. It's also looking at expanding hours at clinics in Saskatoon to help with the backlog, mostly in Regina. Um, But the NDP says the government can't be trusted on this. It questioned the government's Calgary plan. Uh, If you will recall, the private clinic donated to the Saskatchewan party. It also hired a former finance minister to lobby on its behalf, um, saying that, you know, it's really expensive to send to Calgary. If you look at other options, there are cheaper options out there. And they say the province needs an all-hands-on-deck approach. Murray, what's your reaction to this latest wait and this, Jeremy outlined, just a long, long wait for this woman? It's tragic, and and your heart goes out for the personal situation, uh, looking at it as clinically as I can under the circumstances, it, it, it's an old story and a new story. The old story in Saskatchewan is we've always had ha- a hard time attracting high-level medical professionals, specialists, but even technicians, people that are, are uh, able to perform these scans and be able to do these things. And it's harder now because they're in demand. Now, they're in demand because everybody wants them everywhere. There's fewer people graduating. There's more specialties. So uh, there's uh, obviously fewer people going or not as many people going into it. People in the medical profession are spread out and they're looking for better options. And Saskatchewan has never been the best option, either in pay, either in the amenities of living in this province, climate, etc. A lot of these people are going to the states and elsewhere. But I can't also help think here's a problem two years out of COVID when uh, we had a provincial premier basically declare that uh, uh, he was not going to listen to medical professionals. It might not be a thing. But it might be a thing. It might be a thing where where 
people elsewhere hear this and says, why in the hell do I want to move here uh, if it's not a nice climate to uh, move into and I'm not making as much money as I can elsewhere. And these are the things that governments here have to be especially aware of and perhaps are not. There are consequences to policy decisions that you make for political reasons because uh, they are the most prudent or effective way to get through the next election. And I think this is sort of one of the, the, the one of the factors going in. I honestly can't say it is the factor or even the only factor. It is certainly not the only factor because there's all these long, uh, uh, long time Saskatchewan problems that just keep repeating. But that said, uh, I think it's time for the government to at least step back and say, "Look, we do have issues out here. As a responsible government, this is how we have to govern for Saskatchewan because these are our specific problems." And Jeremy, the NDP held a news conference yesterday highlighting some information, maybe information it didn't receive, was hoping to receive in relation to uh, Gary Graywall, the MLA's ownership of the Sunrise Motel. That was brought up last year after a senior was charged more once the government started covering her room charge. What's the latest with what the opposition is saying about this issue? Right. So last fall, we learned the Sunrise Motel, which is owned by Mr. Graywall, had charged a higher rate for a recipient on social assistance. Um, so this recipient, she had paid $132 a night plus a $200 damage deposit when she paid for the room when she checked in. When the ministry decided to foot the bill, the government paid $168 per night and then $200 a night a few days later. So we're talking hundreds of more dollars in expenses on this hotel when maybe it could have been cheaper if she paid for it. So this has raised a lot of questions. And And uh, since that story broke, the NDP has been trying to get some answers. So this past, this week, they held a news conference saying they filed some freedom of information requests into this. They want to look at um, how many uh, motels and hotels the government has contracted. They want a list of that. They also want to know the government's policy around this. How does it decide which motels to use? Well, they got an answer back to their freedom of information request, and it's being pushed another another month. So they are accusing the government of dragging this out and not wanting to release information. We had uh, Minister Gene Mikowski talk to reporters yesterday and he said, you know, the government's not trying to hide information. He's still working with the ministry to get this information out to people. So far, what we know is the government paid Sunrise $172,000 in 2022. And for all hotels, it was $2.25 million. Um, the policy kind of looks like at this point, The government, uh, Mikowski says he's looking into it, but social workers are really kind of deciding in those moments where they're going to send people in these kind of high pressure situations. We also heard from Mr. Graywall last fall saying, yeah, he owns it, but he doesn't manage it. Um, and he also disclosed that he did own this before these allegations or before this came to light. Murray, is this still a story in your mind? Well, as long as the uh, government doesn't give op- answers, it's going to be a story. So once again, I can't figure out why the government just isn't giving answers. I trust and respect Mr. Mikowski because I have found him to be one of the more straightforward ministers you're going to uh, encounter. Maybe he doesn't always have all the answers, uh, but the, but I, you get the sense that he's at least trying. There's something else going on here, though, in with this particular file that where we're clearly not getting all the answers. We're, we're 
uh, needing. And I don't know if it's just neglect on the government's part to take this issue seriously. Uh, I don't know if they're concerned about the embarrassing results given Mr. Graywall's uh, ownership involvement in a uh, hotel that maybe is he's, that, that's benefited far more uh, than uh, than the government wants to be talking about in an election year. But right now. Uh, it, if you're asking if it's still a story, yeah, until the government actually gives us reason not to write about it, uh, then yeah, it's probably a story because you're dealing with uh, a hotel owned by AMLA that was receiving a substantial amount of money, uh, more, far more by overcharging poor people. I think that's a story. Jeremy, we had another one-day strike by teachers, no new talks scheduled as far as you know right now. Uh, what's the latest? Yeah, no new talks as far as right now. Yeah. But yeah, so teachers went on strike earlier this week, again, to get the government to move on these issues of classroom size and classroom complexity. They want smaller classrooms, more supports uh, for students. The government still says, though, it's not going to budge on those issues. It says it's not going to negotiate them and on them and will negotiate on wage instead. Um, so we're still at this impasse here. And if it stays this way, the teachers say more job action is likely. Murray, what was your reaction this week to, to the one-day strike and did anything change in your mind from when we talked about this last week? No, it's, it's going to be a bit of a dragged out process uh, and uh, it's going to escalate. I think the next thing to watch for is whether the teachers move on extracurricular activities as opposed to uh, a one-day strike because I think that's far more effective in getting their message out. Uh, missing a day here and there, they'll be added on to the end of the year or whatever else that they have to do with it uh, is one thing. But you know, missing basketball season. I know how important that is to you. Missing everything else that uh, goes on in high schools that makes high schools enjoyable really resonates at two years after COVID. And I think that that's going to be something uh, parents are going to pay a particular attention to. Teachers have to too because they have to use the strategy wisely. Uh, but what we're going to see is escalation, obviously. And, and I'm still not 100% sure if there'll be a good outcome for either side for, ver- for differing reasons if we go to back work legislation. Uh, I think it's stupid for the government to want this fight uh, and they're not playing a smart long game, but they don't play a smart long game on a lot of things. And Murray, you wrote a column sure. on candidate nominations this week and the upcoming election, which we think is October 28th, we but think, we, yeah. we have to kind of be on our toes because it could be any time. What stood out to you when you look through you know, the list of candidates, people have been nominated so far? What were some of your takeaways? Uh, quickly, what stands out to me is based on who's nominated so far, it's almost as if no one's looking for change. The NDP have all... 12 candidates that are running again nominated. Uh, the SAS party has the majority of their candidates uh, uh, nominated. There's a few exceptions like Donna Harper and uh, Dustin Duncan and Laura Ross where there's a bit of curiosity about, uh, about whether they're running again. Uh, but generally, they got a whole bunch of rural guys nominated with the emphasis on winning rural seats. They don't have anybody nominated in ridings where now sits an NDP MLA, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, why would you not go after them? They don't have anybody in North Regina uh, uh, nominated, which is basically conceding the seats. That said, the NDP have a, to- a grand total of six so-called rural candidates, uh, widely defined as places like Yorkton and, and such. But nevertheless, uh, the majority of their candidates are either incumbents or other empty city seats or, se- or se- not empty city seats, but SAS party city seats that they think they can win. Now, they can win those seats, but probably they can't win enough of them to form government. So if this is where we're going, it's not really much of a sign that we're going to have much of a change come October 28th when the vote comes or, as you say, whenever it does come. Uh, And 
Uh, I really think it's a mistake for the, on the part of the NDP, maybe not one of their own doing, because it's tough to get candidates to commit early, uh, particularly when they have to give up work, et cetera, et cetera, several times. But if there's going to be any hope for the NDP to do better than you know 20 odd seats, they really needed to get more mobile than they have right now. And I don't think uh, uh, I, I think it's somewhat of admission. This is about as far as they can go. And the aforementioned Gary Graywell is another uh, Thank you. candidate yes, who's indeed. not been nominated yeah. yet in Regina yeah. Northeast. Yeah. Although I don't know if there's much enthusiasm in the SAS party for his nomination. I truly don't. Uh, like, I mean, the, uh, he's been problematic for him because of this file. Thanks so much, Murray. Thanks, You're Jeremy. Welcome. Thank you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.